Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good night, wherever you are. Welcome to the Two Cents Footy Podcast, week number four, episode three. Huzzah! We're getting it in there. So, welcome. And uh, yeah, we've got a fun one today, lined up with the beautiful topography, landscape, myriad of reasons to love, VAR. We also have a new segment which uh, John will be outlining to you and we're going to touch upon uh, our various teams that we support and uh, kind of give you an update because not all of them are based in the uh, Premier League. But starting starting this week we have uh, VAR as uh, the massive, major, humongous topic of the week and uh, we have chosen our top three uh, matches which uh, have been seemingly shredded by VAR, but it's worth us going into them one by one, having a debate and a discussion, and then moving on to our new segment. So we're going to start off with the controversy with Spurs versus Liverpool, the uh, infamous 2-1. And uh, yeah, I mean, John, what on earth? happened there on the weekend what on earth indeed um vars had a stinker hasn't it lads um the the referee and the assistant have called a decision var doing what it's there to do reviewed it and then said good job boys and realized it gave the wrong decision at the end of it and then instead of bringing it back they carried on despite luis diaz being about half a yard onside and Liverpool ultimately ended up losing the game and quite frankly I don't know what to think about it anymore Yeah, uh, that recording is is insane uh, from the perspective of we think yeah well done boys good job oh, oh mate mate did you, did, you, did you check the decision offside Offside, disallow, really, and then several expletives. Uh, JP, what what do you think can be done uh, in future to stop this happening again? Yeah, I think this has highlighted a few issues with with VAR, and I think probably some gut feelings we've probably all had about VAR in general. Um, a lot of unknowns around actually how the hell they're coming to these decisions um i think the recording of the var just shows how unclear the whole decision making process is they're talking over each other you've got the var guy saying one thing you've got the var assistant saying another thing at the same time and they're all trying to somehow communicate with the referee and it's no wonder a decision like this has gone um, gone the way it has because the whole communication communication line or process is just absolutely unbelievable. <laughs> um, so, on on hearing that back, not surprised. Um, there's a huge amount of improvement that can be made. Um, I'm actually quite shocked how they're not using the lessons from that's being used in other sports such as rugby and the TMO, and we can all see how clear they get come to a decision when they're they're coming to um, when they're reviewing 
bits of play. So, there. I mean, hopefully a good thing comes from it and positive comes from it in terms of improvements. But, yeah, it, it's just shocking what's happened in that game. It's interesting you mentioned rugby. It's so seamlessly done with all the in-ground attendance audience being able to hear what's being discussed and spoken quite clearly. Why football hasn't got that is beyond me. Um, but also, as you say, the clarity. My on-field decision was this. Let's review this. The referee makes the decision. I'm overturning my decision. It's the same in cricket. Um, they've been doing it so well for so many years, you'd think football would be able to pick it up and run with it quite simply. But somehow they've they've made a bit of a hash of it so far. Um, definitely needs improvement. Yeah, exactly in cricket. It's like wickets hitting in line, ball in line, fair delivery. Why on earth is that process not being ex- shared with the public? Yeah, I think for me with, with football, the one thing that seems to be different with football than rugby in particular, I don't know too much around the cricket side of things, but with VAR, when things go to VAR, it seems to be the VAR referee that's coming up with the, with the decision. In rugby, although they're reviewing the pieces of footage, um, it's always the on-field referee that comes up with the end decision Um and he asks whether the TMO referee is in agreement with what he's seeing. Um, uh, I think that would be a huge improvement because the whole, I guess, responsibility of the on-field ref now in the Premier League just seems to seems to have gone. Anything that goes to VAR, it actually doesn't seem to be his decision. It's the VAR's decision when actually they're not on the pitch watching the game. So um, I think if they come to something like that, I think it'd be a massive improvement. I'm not sure if you, you think the same or no I agree with that and I think one of the points you've raised there about the on-field referee making the decision when was the last time you saw a ref go to the monitor and uphold his original decision I think we've all come to the point they go to the monitor they're changing their mind um I've seen it in person in the ground I've seen it on tv as soon as the ref goes to the monitor you sort of think okay something's happening here it's never going to be uh I'm upholding my decision and if it is like I, I want to see more of that when they make a mistake, that's what VAR is for. And that's great. It's there for that purpose. But I really want to see referees really standing behind their decisions if they think it is right. Um, one of the controversies that would have been good to see that ball was Curtis Jones' red card. Uh, same game. As soon as the ref goes to the monitor, you know that it's either going to be a change of decision one way or a change the other, i.e. it's going to be a red or it's going to be nothing from a yellow card. Um I mean, I don't know about your boys' thoughts. It's it's a horrible decision to have to make because I think it's a tricky one either way, that red card. But that is what VAR is there to help with and allow the ref the chance to review on the monitor. Yeah, I think, I mean, not, yeah, I think that decision, I do have my thoughts on, on what way I personally think it should have gone. I have another point in terms of just around the whole VAR thing while we're on the topic is the punditry is, or the pundit it's always gone about how if a decision's clear and obvious is when it will go to the monitor review. But uh, and I know this is going to be another topic that we bring up, but um, Onana against Wolves and his decision and that whole debacle of it not actually going to VAR. It's like, well, to me, that is a clear and obvious decision. Onana's just come out and lamped one of the Wolves attackers, <laughs> and apparently that's not clear and obvious. So 
it, I th it just seems like they're making things up as they go along at the moment. But um, yeah. Yeah, it seems like you can you can do a left jab, right hook, uppercut, and, and another hook, and it's uh, greeted with nothing. So the consistency of decision making, and then the pressure that they're under because the clock is not stopped, is almost moronic. That's actually a very very key point. I think that football has that's different from cricket as a stop start sport and rugby which will stop the clock and i think the time to make the decisions is less precious in sports where they can stop the clock and review properly without taking too long i guess but for football five six minutes elapse and then it gets added on a stoppage time instead of just stopping it reviewing it properly in rugby they stop the clock they review the incident they clearly articulate what is being reviewed and why they give a decision they replay the clock uh, they restart the clock they do the same for if the ball goes you know, for a scrum. They might occasionally stop it if they want to talk to some of the players, the captains. In football, it's always on. The clock is always running. So I wonder if that's making, it's adding more haste to the decision-making process and therefore more viable for you know, them making a mistake. Decision. Which seems ridiculous because they've come out this season going, oh, any time wasted, they're just going to add on loads and loads of added time. We've already seen it in games where there's like, with Sunderland, even they've added on 13 minutes in one half because Ipswich were ridiculous with their time wasting. It's like, well, for the even when it comes to VAR things, for the matter of an extra minute just to get a decision right, and they already take five minutes as it is, so an extra minute, you know, take it and get the decision right. But although I guess yeah, uh, without us trying to pile on, it's uh, incredibly difficult operation uh, to run, to oversee, to regulate. So I guess it's still a work in progress, but then, yeah, the question is how long do they need to get it right years and years now? It's a work in progress in football, but it's been proven to work well in other sports. Why not take the blueprint that rugby has and <clears throat> try to implement that into football at the start as opposed to trying it anew and trying something different um i agree i don't want to pile on on the officials and it, you know it's not going to be easy for anyone to make the decisions anyway some of them are always going to be tight and clear and obvious is still subjective to an extent with some of these however as jb said another minute to get the decision right is the route i think they need to take for these yeah, I think there's something with me also around the rules of football. Because I think, as an everyday fan, as as we all are, we see the the replays of an incident, and within ten seconds, I think we could all come up with a pretty clear decision on what we think that decision should be, whether it's a red card, a penalty, a goal, or not a goal, but it's offside, whatever. And it would take us the matter of ten seconds to be like, oh yeah, he's he's offside. We don't need the lines to see whether he's offside or onside. I mean, maybe if it's minuscule, if it's a red card, the Curtis Jones thing, whether we think it's a red card or not, we'd come up with a decision within 10 seconds, be, oh yeah, he's gone over the ball, he's hit the Basuma's ankle, that's a red card. No, it's not a red card because he wasn't in with force. So it's just, is the rules of football actually too complicated for the guys? Because... I think we've all seen, actually, they don't know what they're doing in, in the VAR box. <laughs> yeah, we hear it from the crowds every week. They don't know what they're doing. <laughs> yeah.
Insights 2020 with a pint of Bovril in you. So, yeah. I mean, the one positive I would give VAR is the officiating is crap in the EFL as it is, and we don't have VAR. So, in terms of putting it in a in a positive spin, if if VAR can learn their lessons from incidents like this and may eventually get to that level of consistency that we all want to see within the game, it it should become a, a positive thing. And I, I still have hope that it will. I know some pundits are going, oh, VAR's in crisis mode and people want it to get scrapped. But I think the purpose behind it is, is really po- is positive for the game. And when you see the level of officiation within the EFL, I think, there is some good VAR in the, in, the, in terms of level consistency, but um, so hopefully some good will come out of it. And I agree, about having VAR, there are elements of it. You know, offside, okay, controversy at the weekend, wrong decision was made, but actually that's, um, that's an objective decision. The, the line is drawn and it's either onside or offside. When you have that level of technology and utilise it properly, it works well. When it's subjective, as you say, but over the top of the ball, was it with force? Was it unintentional? Um, there can still be mistakes made, not even mistakes. There, there can be opinions that you and I might not agree with what the referee has gone with. And, and that's fine. That's part of football. I actually enjoy an element of that to an extent, whether you're on the right or the wrong side of it. But you think offsides, they finally got it right. It's something that they will consistently be able to correctly rule on or offside every goal. And then this happens and you sort of go back to square one. So... Yeah, it's good that we've got it. It's worked well previously, but so just moving it forward to our third example. So we have Spurs against Liverpool, which there was a lapse in concentration and the wrong decision was made. We had United against Wolves, which was a denial of a penalty where Nana has in effect jabbed one of Wolves' strikers. The third one is. Uh, Denial of a penalty. It was assault on a football pitch. If you did that off the pitch, you'd be going to prison. <laughs> yeah. And from memory, they released the audio for that one as well, didn't they? Um, yeah. Wolves Man United one. Yeah, and that was a that was that was a strange recording as well. From memory, when I listened to it, he was almost like, "Oh yeah, the keepers almost w- wiped him out," and then he's gone from it was almost, "Oh yes, a certain penalty." To, "Oh no, actually, he wasn't." quite near enough to the ball so actually no it's not a penalty it's just like it's the whole thing around the rules again it's like Anana's just assaulted some perk behind the box in every person's rule book that's a penalty whether he's close to the ball or not <laughs> this is it's the just thing like... close to the ball or not is irrelevant Zidane headbutts Matarazzi in the chest 80 yards away from where the match is yeah, yeah, the, the ball is during the World Cup of 2006 final it's still a foul it's still a red card like yeah. However you cut it, that is still happening. If he's nowhere near the ball, it is still a punch in the face or he's absolutely clattered him. So Yeah. Yeah. Was Matarazzi's bruised still not healed up? Oh, there was some serious force behind that headbutt. <laughs> His chest is still purple. Permanently indented. <laughs> Permanently welded in place. Uh, yeah, and then our third one for our learned viewers and listeners is uh, Arsenal. Yeah, Arsenal against Brentford when they were right in the middle of the title run, and then you know determined to keep a gap against Man City. 
And so what happened there was Lee Mason of our for that fixture forgot to apply the lines, which would have shown Christian Norgard to be in an offside position before assisting Ivan Tony's equaliser, making it 1-1. Whereas it could have been clear three points and this could have affected the momentum into the final run-through. So it's a endless saga. doesn't seem to stop, especially even in a title run. We had a couple against Brighton last season as well. Um, you know, we had it against Spurs and Liverpool, I think, in quick successions where a couple of controversial decisions didn't go our way in matches that we ended up you know, dropping points in. And as a, you know, as a neutral, you might enjoy it, you know, a bit of controversy. Uh, as a fan, you can sort of take the rough with the smooth, but it's the lack of consistency, as we've said. And then it's also the apology after the game is a bit of a kick in the teeth because it's, it's not a point or two back in refund. The game, you know, the Liverpool game is not going to be replayed, uh, in my opinion. I, that would be crazy. And that really sets a, a different precedent if they go down that route. But what is, what is the correct solution? Because an apology is nothing. And if Liverpool now lose the title or fail to get the Champions League on a point, two points, if Spurs win the league by a point, two points, that could be huge. And the way Spurs have started, you know, like I'm, I'm not getting ahead of myself here thinking that they could do it, but it's looking very good for them at the moment. Liverpool won a fine run of form. Um, it can really knock the wind out of one team's sails or really end up pushing someone on. We'll see coming into the season. So I, I guess to <clears throat> try and counteract that point around Liverpool wanting a replay and I guess it's counteracting Klopp's point really around him wanting a replay is like <clears throat> I don't think they'll get a replay either and I don't see why they should um, reason being is before VAR there would have been decisions that helped and hindered teams anyway so it, in, in all reality it's you know we've experienced this before VAR I think I mean VAR's in there to stop it happening um but I, so it, yeah, I mean it's tricky. But in terms of replay, yeah, I don't think I'd agree with that at all. Yeah, great. And you say uh, you know pre-VAR, post-VAR world. Um, quite clearly, remember an incident before any of us were born. Admittedly, a goalkeeper <laughs> came rushing out in a in a match. I think it was Germany versus Italy. Keeper was called Schumacher. The other player was called, uh, I think it was Battiston, something like that, Battiston. And he basically clattered him so hard, he knocked the guy unconscious, knocked some of his teeth out, completely cleaned him out on the floor, not even a free kick given. Now, it's a more extreme version of the Anana tackle. But in a time before VAR, and yes, tackles were harder back in those days, and blah, blah, blah. Um, as you say, decisions were rightly, wrongly given, and that was it. And play went on and you know the outcome of that decision could completely change a tournament uh, a league anything but it happened people dusted it off and, and moved on replays weren't played because of dodgy decisions unless games were abandoned because of it and this one was seen through I feel for Liverpool 96 minute own goal you know I really feel for them because they was a very dogged performance given some of the things that went against them um, but it happened. They just need to bounce back as much as they can. 
I'm sure they will. Yeah. I mean, I guess um, another question for both you guys is, do you think there's all this uproar because it's happened to Liverpool rather than it happening to a Brighton or a Brentford? Yes. Categorically, yes, because it happened to us multiple times last season and we we got a few apologies and, and that was it. Um, I'm not saying it's a big team bias or anything, but it's very interesting that there's so much more uproar when it's happened in a, a bigger game, to put it in quote marks. Um, but as you say, Arsenal's title fate could have effectively been sealed because of a dodgy decision against, sorry, was it Wolves, Brentford last season, you know. It's 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 not a big team bias, but naturally, it's been blown up more because of the two teams that were involved. Yeah, in fact, Liverpool gained nine points last season from VAR decisions, which would have meant, yeah, which was the difference between them getting in. Uh, was it fifth Europa? And not uh, getting at all in. In Europe, so, so I, mean, I, guess from, I guess from that stat, it shows that actually VAR on the whole. I mean, I know the the shockers at the weekend, and there's this whole thing about whether it should be scrapped or not. Actually, with that stat, Liverpool have gained nine points through decisions being overturned. So, I mean, if you're looking at the whole the big picture, actually, I think VAR is still a positive from from my point of view. Agree. I controversially agree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they could have been in Villa's place if it wasn't for that. So, we, no, in fact, even worse. We're, we're not talking about Villa. <laughs> I, 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 I can't do maths. Yeah, <laughs> no, they would have been below so, Brentford. Yeah, we could talk about any other team in the league, but we're not talking about Villa after the weekend results. Oh, I Sorry. forgot about them. Yeah, no, that's 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 we'll we'll come back to it. We've got time. <laughs> okay, cool, fantastic. Um, yeah, VAR, insane and also useful. I think that's the conclusion. Yeah. But ideally, it should learn from other how, sports. How did we get to that conclusion after the weekend? It's just <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a perfect mess, isn't it? Nice. Yeah. Uh, I think Jeff saved it where of that stat, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. We would have had a lot of Liverpool fans potentially listening in and going, oh, you know, we were, we were robbed. And then Jeff's coming and gone, nine points last season. Oh, but you know what? Val's got the worst thing in the world, is it? <laughs> ninth place? That's going to be annoying. I'm not, not gonna... sure if that's um, what Joel Matip's feeling at the moment <laughs> after that goal, yeah. own goal in the end. Just wasn't Liverpool's day, was it's it? <laughs> Certainly wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. Well, moving it on, Curtis Jones's red card, we touched upon it. What do you guys think of the decision now? Uh, uh, yeah, John Hart. Har- har- harsh but correct decision. It's, it's red because he's gone over the top of the ball. Um, I think he's very unfortunate because I don't think it's malice. He's clearly slipped over the ball as he's made contact with it. Just, just. That's one where I actually feel sorry for the officials to have to make a decision because you're not going to ever win over both sides. Um, however, I will say red. And JP? Um, yeah, I, I think 
if we're talking sort of 90s football, obviously it wouldn't be a red back in those days, but we're talking about the Pampers League as we discussed oh, yeah. last week. So, um, yeah, I think I think for me, it's for me it's a definite red. Um, I think anything now where you're going over the top of the ball and you're hitting someone's ankle, I think, well, I mean, I think... I mean, VAR, I think slow-mo does make it look worse as well, but I think anything over the top of the ball and there's a potential for a break in an ankle or seriously harming someone's leg like that, I think it's, it is a straight red for me. Um, whether it's slightly soft and it's not that much force also, um, I think in the EFL, one thing they do tend to get right in terms of the officiating, any sort of tackle like that does tend to get a red also. Um, so for me... Yeah, it's 100% red for me. I, uh, I, I think it's very unlucky. Um, I'd actually think it is. I think it's a yellow. Just because he's absolutely slipped over the top of the ball. Uh, it's in real quick speed. It's been looked at by VAR for an eternity and then uplifted. It's super unfortunate. But I agree with you, like it's been consistent in terms of the way of those are decided, but just the circumstance of that, I don't know if that should be taken into account as a as a mitigation. Yeah. I think a, a couple of points there. Um, the rules around VAR overturning is clear and obvious. If it's taking that long to make a decision, it's neither clear nor obvious. So you stick with the onfield decision. Back to our original point earlier, that then speeds up the decision-making process and as I said, it's it's going to be controversial either way, but at least you are sticking to what you believe was correct. Um, the you know the still the still frame of someone going over the top of the ball and into someone's leg is always going to look worse, or a slow motion replay is always going to look worse than a full time tackle. So the fact that that was the starting point of the monitor when the ref went over to it was always going to go one way. Yeah. That's my two cents. <laughs> <laughs> if you pardon the pun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Liverpool are having an expensive week on lawyers with A, <laughs> the VAR decision in respect of, of the Diaz goal, and then also they're trying to overturn Jones' red, which obviously losing three games is huge. And again, it could affect the title run. So, um, yeah, there's meant to be kind of, yeah, a review really soon and um, yeah, he will miss a Europa League game as it is at the moment, so uh, crazy situation. I think more controversially, <clears throat> Jota's first yellow card. Oh well, yeah, this, this, this game is just keeps on giving, doesn't it? This game <laughs> is a VAR slash controversy sort of goldmine. Yeah, I, I, I do. I think his first, I guess, challenge, if you can call it a challenge, I don't think is a yellow card. Having said that, he did pick up a card. I think his second challenge is just, it's just ridiculous. Whether that first one's a yellow or not, you can't, you can't make a challenge like that. Um, so, in one sense, it's no, it shouldn't have been a red card. But in the other sense, I think Jota was just really, really stupid. Um, and another stat I think I picked up around Liverpool, and I know they had a bit of a game at the weekend, but they've now had four reds in six games. So is there a question around Liverpool having sort of discipline issues at the moment as well? 
is it or is it just a coincidence that actually they're just having a real time with, with VAR and and referees? <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna say, and I never thought I'd actually say this. Liverpool have been very unlucky with some of the decisions against them for red cards this season because both at the weekend had their controversies. But um, McAllister's one earlier in the season, I didn't think that was a red. Um, and I don't know who their fourth red card was. Yeah, let's let's assume that that is. Oh, it was um, it was Trent against the the team that sh- shall not be named. Ah. <laughs> so you know, if we say one out of four should have a further two potentially, or maybe you know, and then a third one shouldn't. Uh, the fourth one, sorry, shouldn't. It's quite unlucky. But four and six, you're right. It's is it discipline problems? Is it in Jota's case? I think it was a brain fart. The second. Yellow, as you said, ridiculous. But probably frustrated that he'd been given a yellow earlier and he just lost the ball. And Sim players do it in the past. We'll see him do it in the future. But yeah. Yeah, it's a bad day at the office. Uh, but yeah, the first one, oh my God. That you could fit an aeroplane in the gap between Jotter and uh, was it, who was it? Basuma? It was Basuma, yeah. Basuma. Yeah, you, you could land a 747 in that gap. <laughs> and that was a yellow card. I think the, the uh, I guess while we're talking about fouls, is I think there's now an expectation that when a player gets fouled, it should be an automatic yellow card. Where actually, I, not all fouls have to be a yellow card. So even if Jota, because I think even if there was some contact that we perhaps didn't see, it wasn't a deliberate challenge, I don't think. It was, you know, players sort of coming together rather than Jota trying to trip someone up. Or that's what it looked like, or that's how it came across to me. And it's like, in that case, although, yes, it's a foul, give the free kick, but it doesn't have to be a yellow card. I think when a player is breaking up uh, a counter-attack or something, a professional foul like that, it's usually a yellow card. What happened with Jota's? Jota was running and Basuma ahead of him. His... Basuma's foot has hit Jota's knee completely unintentionally. In you know, as you say, that's not a yellow. Um, but you're right. There's more expectation, and there's a lot of the whole hand waving and card signalling, and you know, the refs are trying to clamp down on that with giving yellow cards to players doing that. But it seems that every time a tackle is made, there's an expectation of getting the worst punishment possible for the opponent. And actually, the gamesmanship sort of—it's a shame, really, because some of the tackles that you see people getting punished for, you argue whether it should be a foul, let alone a card. Um, and then you go back to the Pampers League idea and actually it's, it's putting players, wrapping them in this bubble wall, uh, bubble wrap and, and the cotton wool that they don't, some players don't thrive in that environment. The Premier League in particular is quite a physical league and you don't want to lose that from football. Um, don't want to go down the route of the Serie A, you know, one or whether mm-hmm. constantly... Not constantly, maybe, but quite often diving around and trying to buy fouls and whatnot. <laughs> and in Juventus case, it's literally buying fouls from referees. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe we could rename the podcast you know, to the, the Pampers Footy Podcast. That'd be fun. <laughs> Keep your eyes out for episode five. Maybe that's what's coming. Full <laughs> yeah. rebrand already. <laughs> Rebrand already with some extra sponsorship, but yeah, <laughs> might have um, to change the topics. Speaking of rebrands, this idea of a new segment, <clears throat> mm. 
Good point. So on the back of last week's, <laughs> uh, see that that is a perfect segue, isn't it? Guys? I, I love that so. transition. Yeah, <laughs> beautiful stuff. Um, I was talking to my wife at the end of last week's podcast, and she had this brainchild of a pint and a pie or a pie and a pint segment. I said, okay, what's that going to be? She said, every time we go to the football, we end up getting a pie and a pint while we're watching. Um, Want to have a segment where you have a player that you thought has had a great week, be it because they have performed an act of sportsmanship or a you know, performance, something that would warrant you wanting to buy them a pint. And a player who had a bit of a stinker, you know, has maybe done something controversial, bought a penalty that he shouldn't have, a bit of gamesmanship, you want to chuck a pie at them, you know, not advocating for that sort of behaviour, but metaphorically speaking, come up with the idea of the pie and the pint. So I thought it'd be a good idea to get your guys' opinion on who would you give your, your who would you buy a pint for this week? Who would you pie? Um, Jeff, start with you. Cool. Yeah, really good idea. So I would say it would be a mint and pea pie, <laughs> which would be refreshing and healthy, good for the calories. Uh, actually, yeah, let's, let's, let's go uh, pie, we'll go to Jota. So that's a really good segue, wasn't it, yeah. John? I, okay. uh, that needs to be applauded. So, yeah, I, despite my initial thoughts on, um, yeah, I mean, his second yellow card was just nibbling, just nibbling away and uh, was reckless, unfortunately. And, yeah, that's a big loss for Klopp. Uh, especially with, as we mentioned, similar with Jones, losing him um, for Europa League um, for some kind of critical games uh, coming up, in particular their next one, which is against uh, the aforementioned Brighton and Hove Albion, which I look forward to going into immense detail very shortly. <laughs> uh, I can tell you. It's, yeah, looking forward to it. And then... Uh, yeah, in terms of Pint, definitely get one for Tom uh, Lockyer, the, the captain of Luton, getting their first win on the weekend uh, against Everton, albeit, yes, a loss against uh, against Burnley on, on the Tuesday, but just his determination also when he got injured in the final of the playoffs last year, just his resilience, stalwart leadership, um, just absolute trooper and uh, to be respected I think in the way he, he got also that, that goal um, of a rebound from uh, Morris so that's my mint and pea pie and a nice bitter pint I, I agree with the idea of getting uh, luckier a pint and as you said the determination to show for that goal, Young's gone to clear it while everyone's sort of stood static and he's just thrown himself in the direction of, of Ashley Young and ended up getting it in. And as you say, bittersweet weekend or extended weekend for Luton. Three points on the road, lovely. And then big six-pointer against Burnley. They end up dropping points. So that was a shame. But Tom left his good shell. And then, yeah, Jossa for a pie. Uh, JP, what are you thinking? Contrast to um, Jeff's healthy vegetarian pie, I'll go for a steak and ale uh, with a pint of Camden Hills, I reckon. Very nice. <laughs> Love it. Um, but no, in terms of my pint for the week, I'm going to give mine to James Madison. Um, I think, although we've touched on the game largely around 
reasons we don't want to mention. I think last week was the first time I've watched James Madison in the Tottenham side. I think in a full in a full game. I think before I've just sort of seen him sort of in snippets on on match of the day and stuff. And actually, I thought he he is almost a focal point. I think in that Spurs team, he he just shows his class. The the passes he played at play. The, the the sort of the touches and the creative creativity he gives that side I just thought was unbelievable and I think within Leicester you kind of think yeah he's good but it's in within a Leicester side I think now he's in Tottenham doing it at a I guess a higher level I think yeah he just oozes class within that side so I'm giving my pint to to James Madison my pie for the weekend I'm I'm not sure if I can give it to a whole team I'll my my whole team is going to be Everton. Um, in terms of an individual, I'm going to give it to their new striker, Beto, I think it is. Um, essentially, he can't hit a barn door. <laughs> They've lost to Luton um, in a, a relegation scrap, which I can't believe we're saying for Everton once again this season. But um, they brought in this new striker called Beto. Um, and I don't think Everton are... I don't think they're not creating chances. They seem to have a striker in Beto who... Seems to be shooting, but he just can't hit the barn door. So he's getting my pie for the week. <laughs> yeah, again, two very, very valid opinions there. Um, interesting you say about Madison. I have noticed the same, uh, albeit also in snippets. Um, interestingly enough, he has taken on the role of Son in that team, while Son's taken on the role of Kane. And we've got another dynamic duo on our hands within the Spurs setup here where you've got that constant sort of Madison creating for Son the same way that Son would create for Kane and Kane would create for Son. I think when Madison starts getting um, a few goals maybe as well, like that's going to be, that's going to be one to watch throughout the season, I think. Um, yeah. Uh, and interesting, pie for the whole of the Everton team. Couldn't agree more. I am <laughs> genuinely again concerned that a team that has spent the money they have over the last few seasons are putting up performances like that. You've got, uh, obviously, DCL, who, if he could stay fit, would be all day, every day, their number one choice striker. But Beto, yeah, it's, it's been a slow start for him. Quite agree. Um, I guess I'll round it off. I'll give you my pie and my point, pint choices. Uh, and I found a guest pie, so we'll say it's a nice, you know, bolty pie or something like that. Um, not that it matters how it tastes, because we're going to effectively be, unfortunately, throwing it at the poor person. But... Uh, I'm going to, in the first week of doing this, controversially not give it to a player, but rather give it to the whole of the VAR and officiating team for the, uh, the Spurs versus Liverpool game. Um, they all had a stinker. Just cut to the chase. They were bad. Made worse, the damning footage that came out, audio footage of them saying, good job, lads, well done. You realise the decision was offside and that's wrong, right? Wait, what? You know, it's just a farce. Uh, between that, controversial red cards, bad decisions throughout, it's, it was just a bad, bad weekend for all of those guys. So, Simon Hooper, uh, Darren England and Dan Cook, uh, you can equally share a third of the pie each. Um, but round it off on a, on a lighter note, pint, we'll give a nice, go for a nice pint of Guinness, you know, nothing too bubbly, but a good, healthy amount of iron for our, our, our winners, shall we say. Um, as a, as a Brighton fan, it loads me to say Ollie Watkins, but after getting a hat trick, and you know, he's obviously going to be up there. But I'm actually going to give it to Craig Dawson because he was phenomenal against Man City. Um, I, I heard a rumor that after the game, he went home, emptied his pockets, phone keys, and, and Erling Haaland. 
of what he took out. <laughs> never, you know, he, he has his quiet moments and whatnot, but occasionally he'll pop up. But Dawson absolutely had him within a yard most of the game and uh, also made great clearance off the line as well. So, well done to Wolves, well done to Dawson. Uh, great result. And obviously, lovely yeah. to see the script was made when Pep decided to refer to Huang as the Korean guy, and then he ended up getting the winner against them. So, uh, you know, <laughs> very good. No, yeah, agree with both of those choices, yeah. definitely. Would love to see a, um, an image of a balsy pie on Darren, England, <laughs> Darren England's head or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> but no, yeah, just to echo what John said, I think the Wolves' performance, especially their defence, was was monumental at the weekend against Man City and a brilliant result. Hopefully giving some hope to the rest of the league that the the City side are are sort of human. Um, be, yeah. yeah, human. Two losses in a row, <laughs> including the midweek loss as well. So, uh, you know, Newcastle undid them. Sorry, the team that should not be named undid them. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Let's just call them the skunks, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Controversial. <laughs> How um, affected Man City are by Rodri being suspended at the moment? Uh, JP and uh, John. Well, it's interesting because I think we said last week, oh, it'd be a good opportunity for Calvin Phillips to get some minutes, and he actually didn't start the game. (laughs) He he opted to choose Kovacic, I think, as well. I think Phillips came on at half time or something like that. Um, Yeah, I think it's a huge impact for them. I think, I mean, I do rate Phillips as a player, and it's interesting that. Guardiola's come out saying he hasn't got the best out of Phillips. Um, of that, I don't know why the reason he hasn't really kind of fitted in, but I mean, one reason is that Rodri is just that good. He is, he is just world class in that in that position, um, and so yeah, it's going to affect Man City. I mean, probably not to the extent that they should be getting beat by Wolves, but um, yeah, it's it's going to it's going to impact them. I think. Yeah, I agree with everything you said. But the one thing I do disagree with is the uh, the teams like Wolves mentality. I think they were unlucky against United. I think they were unlucky against Liverpool. I think um, they, you know, deserve to win is the wrong choice of words because one shot on goal and obviously the, the, the goal they got from the own goal as well. But the performance was dogged. Um, they're a team that have had a bit of an unfortunate start with some decisions and will probably struggle slightly. But they've actually got some good players. And I think... I hope they actually kick on from it um, from the result of the weekend. And similarly, I don't want to see Man City not do well, but I want to see an interesting title chase. So anytime they drop points, you do sort of rub your hands and lick your lips and you think, right, can you know can that be a turning point? Can that be a big moment at the end of the season? Or will it mean that instead of getting 118 points or whatever they could possibly get, they end up just getting 115? You know, we, we'll see. You're right. I mean, um, the amount of gaps left by Kovacic, Kovacic uh, in uh, in midfield, which just allowed Wolves just to plough through. I think a commentary on the weekend was like Semedo's on his bike, ploughing up the the, uh, the side of the Tour de France, and then straight to Neto, and then into the Korean guy who turns out to be phenomenal with his four goals, seven games. Solid performance from Wang. He he, he turned Phillips at one point in the game as well. Ball came into his feet and he just turned between Phillips and another City player, and it was it was just beautiful. And you just sort of think, 
you know, has Pep really put a fire under him by making that sort of unnecessary comment before the game, you know, oh, they've got this guy, they've got that. And then to sort of, oh, and, and they've got the Korean guy. And you think, like, come on, give him respect. Put some respect on his name. Um, yeah, football's your full-time job. Make sure you know who you're talking about before you, you start saying things like that. So. Yeah, exactly. Plus, Pep was in the stands, so it was. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Could have that could have influenced his mindset of uh, being somewhat disrespectful to, you know, the, one of their top three players. I'm, I'm sure he hasn't meant any disrespect by it. Um, although in his post-match interview, he was very keen to point out Wolves defended well. I think he said it three or four times, and it's like I get the point. You're trying to say we parked the bus, but you know. What, what, what do you expect? They're not going to try and beat you at your own game because not many teams in the world can do that. Uh, they had a game plan. They stuck to it. They had a few outstanding performance. Well, whole team outstanding performance. Um, well done. Absolutely. Well done to Wolves. And yeah, superb. Pie in a pint is an, a fantastic segment. And uh, yeah, I definitely... Definitely enjoy that concept from your wife, John. So moving forward, um, we're going to go on to how our own teams are doing. And uh, that's uh, going to be extremely fun for a couple of us, less fun <laughs> one of us. But um, yeah, it was a goal-filled weekend. Um, let's start off with Sunderland. Um, JP, how did Sunderland get on? Yeah, so um, we had our Friday night football on the weekend against Sheffield Wednesday. Um, ended up winning that actually very comfortably, 3-0 up in 30, half an hour or so. Um, second half was a very standard 3-0 up kind of thing. We were sort of trying a few bits and pieces, uh, nothing. But they Sheffield Wednesday were just really, really awful. And they're having a really awful time in terms of owners and stuff like that. But I think in general, in terms of just a, an update in Sunderland, I'm not going to go into sort of huge amounts to bore our listeners. <laughs> but um, we lost our first two games against Ipswich and Preston. And since then, we've now gone on a bit of a good streak. Um, and actually, as we're speaking, we've just beaten Watford 2-0, um, which is great. Um, but we've won, or we've won, I think, six five or six games within our last six or seven. <coughs> I think it's in our last eight, we've lost one, drawn one, and we've won the rest. So we're on, on really, really good form. Uh, we've turned it around sort of in the playoff positions, which is great. But I think the thing for me at the moment is we're playing some really, really good football. Um, we've got some really bright young players within our team. Um, I've mentioned a couple before, Joe Bellingham, Jack Clark. They're all performing very well. Jack Clark, who's our winger, top scorer at the moment in the championship with seven goals. Um, and so he's on the fire. But um, yeah, so we've had a, a really, really good start despite our sort of, I guess, bad start after the last two games against Ipswich and Preston. But um, yeah, pretty happy with how we're doing. Um, championship's a pretty tough league. So yeah, I mean, I'm sure we're going to come up against some, some tough tests as the season goes on. But um, so far, so good. So I'm pretty happy. JP, <laughs> you mentioned Ipswich. They've had a flying start to the season. Obviously, sitting pretty in uh, in second, twenty five points in ten games. Um, do you think they can keep up that momentum? Uh, and then, I guess, sitting at the top of the league is Leicester, who so far have been 
all but untouchable apart from the one loss they have experienced. Um, are they bouncing back up? Um, for me, Leicester, I would say yes. I think they're they're on course to win all automatic promotions almost, I would say, certainly. I think their squad is just it's so strong for the championship. You've got likes of Dewsbury Hall still in there, Connor Cody at the back, Jamie Vardy, Ilanacho, they're all still in that squad and to me that kind of squad I think they've still got Ndidi as well. They do. Perhaps. Um so yeah, that's just such a strong squad for the championship. So for me I think they're gonna walk walk the league. Um, maybe even to the extent of what Burnley did last season. Uh, but what's interesting, we've got Leicester in the next couple of games, so that's going to be a very, very good test, um, hopefully for Leicester as well as Sunderland. Um, I think we're playing really well, so we will give them a bit of a test. Um, Ipswich is an interesting one because they've just come up from League One, um, and we play them first game of the week of the season, and first half, first... 40 minutes or so, we played them off the park um, and they then got a bit of a breakaway goal in Nathan Broadhead who typically is an ex-Sunland player so um, they, they tend to do that old ex-Sunland players a score against us But um, and then the second half we kind of collapsed a little bit, we had a guy sent off um, then went 2-0 and we managed to get one back and then we were trying to get an equaliser, it didn't quite happen with 10 men um, and to be honest I think the second half we were particularly bad, but in the first half we outplayed them and we saw boxed them, and so I'm, I am surprised they've actually won as many games as they had because I thought defensively they probably weren't the greatest team we've come up against, but they've obviously proved that side wrong. I think they score a lot of goals. I think they do concede as well, um, but it's a really interesting story. Um, I think if they've gone however many games we've gone now, sort of around the ten game mark. And, you know, they're up there. I think they've they've had a few tough games from memory in Leeds, I think they've played. so, And I think they've either drew or beat them. So, I mean, there's every chance in the championship. Anything can happen. Um, I think I would still be surprised if they're in the automatics by the end of the season. It's my gut feeling at the moment. But, I mean, you never know. They might prove me wrong. Yeah. Championship is uh, one of the most competitive leagues in the world. Um yeah, in- including the the big so-called big five and stuff. So it's always a juicy one to keep an eye on. There's always a dark horse team that pulls through. So will it be Ipswich? Will it be someone else? Uh, Jeff, you and I are going to be firmly behind Sunderland for for JP's sake, aren't we? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, especially after uh, your loss against Luton, it was uh, it's kind of devastating. But uh, the struggle continues. It will be interesting to see whether Vardy's final act essentially for Leicester could be to bring them back into the Premier League after all he's done for them Red Bull in hand yeah. dragging them back up to the uh, the Premier League <laughs> you can see it now Sugar free or full sugar? Ah, he's a full fat man surely <laughs> I don't think he messes around with the idea of zero calorie sweetness <laughs> Interestingly not, not, not affiliated by the way No, no, yeah the other energy drinks are available for um, interestingly, and, and on that point, he did actually say that he used to drink the big cans of Monster and he only reduced the Red Bull because it was actually less amount of, of red, like actual energy drink he was having. And uh, before games, he drinks coffee as well to, to get that aerial caffeine kick. So 
God knows what that man would be like without Kathy. The withdrawals would be something chronic, surely. Um, yeah. But you're 400 right. 400 micrograms is your intake, and that sounds like he's triple. He's, he's a small guy as well. I mean, like, he's a very slender, you know... I mean, it makes sense why he's so quick, because with that amount of caffeine buzzing around your system, the only way you can be. Um, uh, yeah, so that's obviously Thunderland. Uh, Jeff, have we have we disclosed the listeners who you follow? Yes. Uh, so yes, Swindon. I don't propose to spend a huge amount just because it's League Two, out of the pyramid. But uh, yeah, sixth in League Two, they have won uh, five so far, and they lost against uh, Notts County on the weekend. Uh, I'm trying to think of the right metaphor for their defence on the weekend. It was either a souffle, a creme brulee, or a chocolate mousse, whichever flops quicker and easier. Um, and yeah, with goals from David McGoldrick, who was former Sheffield, uh, United, uh, yeah, Sheffield United. And um, yeah, it's just the ver- they're still very volatile, um, even though they have Charlie Austin, who you know, was in the Premier League. So, it feels like another playoff scratcher again, and that just doesn't fill me with a huge amount of confidence. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> similar to what we're saying with Sunderland, we're we're obviously rooting for Swindon for your sake, but um, they've had a, a tough couple of seasons. Um, they obviously relegated recently, and it'd be good to see them bounce back up. Um, currently sitting in sixth as you said interestingly same amount of games played as Sunderland same amount of points both played 10 both got 19 points so you know if you can keep the same course together hopefully go through the playoffs and win them together then we'll have two out of three of us will be very happy um, <laughs> yeah on, on that point um, yeah. so who do you support John uh, so, I wonder who that was so funnily enough um, I, I, Brighton didn't have a game at the weekend um, yep that was it <laughs> uh, end of podcast really <laughs> uh, am, I, am I detecting a slight hint of fake news? There might have been a slight hint of fake news. No, um, <laughs> we, yeah, <laughs> you mentioned about Swindon's defence. Um, I don't think that we were bad as such. Um, Villa were very, very good. Villa are a very good side. Um, Emery's done a remarkable job there. Uh, but yeah, we were. We were on the, the wrong end of a drubbing. Ollie Watkins getting three after scoring in three in a row against us before that as well. It was always going to happen, but didn't think it happened to this extent. Uh, the way Brighton play, the way we play out from the back, we, we invite the pressure to create the space. Occasionally, it doesn't work. We got taken apart 5-1 against Everton at home last season in um, a similar sort of counter-attacking fashion, but Villa at home is never going to be easy. So, can't say anything but kudos to Villa. Good result, good performance. Um, I'm sure they'll continue having uh, another good season. Um, I'd like to see them do well. Uh, they've, they've had a few tough seasons prior to last, and it's nice to see a club of that size and stature bouncing back quite well. From your perspective, John, do you reckon that's a freak result for Brighton, or is there something underlying that is sort of any of any concern from that result? Or? Yeah, nothing of concern at this point. If Deserby 
put out 11 goalkeepers, I'd back him at the moment. Um, he's... <laughs> We're going to have results like that. As I say, it's the style of football we play. We invite the the pressure to create the space. Um, I'm fine with us having a result like that every now and then. Um, less of a concern, but more of an observation that we've had a couple of bad results in a row. We obviously lost to Athens. Then and you know, a bit of a dogged win against Bournemouth. Then ended up losing again in midweek uh, in the cup. Chelsea, admittedly, again, another so-called big 16 but then get absolutely hammered at the weekend by Villa it's three losses in four um, in all competitions but it's not something that's making me think oh problems are afoot every team will have a down patch every team will have a purple patch hopefully this is our down patch and we'll grow out of it and bounce back against Marseille Thursday and, and then ultimately Liverpool on Sunday but time will tell we shall see if we finish 17th this season I would still say Deserby is, you know, the right manager. It's just <laughs> he's got enough credit in the bank for me for just a short space of time that I'll, I'll, I will watch us lose like that as, as you know, acceptingly as I will watch us win like that. Yeah, I guess the one silver line is that Ansu Fati got his first goal for the club. He did. I think he's needed Villa. that. Um, he's come with a big name. Um, he's obviously, you know, this Barcelona prodigy and whatnot. I haven't been overwhelmed by his performances. I'm going to just say that. Um, I think, you know, transition, new league, he's a very young player and stuff, and I think there's been a lot of rotation in the squad that's probably not ideal for, for, you know, settling someone into the squad. But similarly, it's good that he's got off the mark. Um, he's competing with some very good players in that position. You know, if he's naturally a left winger, he's got Matoma. If he's playing just off the first off the striker, he's got Pedro. If he's playing as an out-and-out striker, there's Ferguson. So it's finding what's right for him uh, to get him to tick, but also being aware that he is a lone player. So we don't want to put too many eggs in that basket. I don't see him coming permanently for quite a few reasons. Um, but I think also we need to be aware of nurturing our own talent. Um, you don't sign a £30 million striker in Pedro to then put him on the bench for a lone player. And similarly, you don't have a a young, not going to say wonder kid, but a great prospect in Evan Ferguson to then not give him game time. So, you know, good to see him score. I hope he kicks on from it, but I just hope that he can put in some performances and and sort of push on from it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So uh, there was also, was it a debut for Hinshelwood? So, yeah, another one of our youngsters. Um, so believe so can you pine wood or a hardwood? <laughs> All I know is is that he's going to be probably another, you know, plucked out of obscurity that'll end up being uh, another hundred million signing for someone else next season. Yeah, Chelsea have probably already got tabs on it. Um, <laughs> Eight-year contract in the works with um, with Poch. Yeah, bit of dodgy accounting, and everyone's happy. No, um, I think, funnily enough, speaking of Hinchwood, I think his dad and his uncle both played for Brighton previously. Um, oh, that's fantastic. So he's got history in the club. Uh, he's, as I say, part of the youth, youth uh, setup he's come through. Be be good to see how he develops. Um, hopefully one to watch. And if not, just hopefully he can um, kick on and, and get some minutes under his belt. 
it's crazy. He was born in April 2005. So we were all in secondary school. So... <laughs> Sad, isn't it? Yeah, we... we, we Makes we, you feel we old. We fucking cry. <laughs> oh, my God. 2005. And they're in the first team in the Premier League. Yeah. Ugh, on that side note. Um, yeah, in slightly bizarre news, um, Mr Pinion, who got a, a no-known goal for Villa, is out uh, with a muscle injury for, it appears to be a month, at least. So I, that's a bit of a blow. Yeah, I saw the report that just said a long time. And yeah. one of the players we haven't had a chance to talk about is uh, Julio Enciso. Um, he's out pretty much for the whole season and, and uh, obviously had a great season last year. Um, got the goal of the season against Man City. Uh, it's been nominated for a Pushcast Award. Obviously, we're hoping he wins it, but it's, it's sad to see a player that's had a, a, a great season, is young, and is developing, having quite a big injury. You kind of hope they can bounce back from it. With a Stupinan's situation, I hope that it's not a long-term injury. A month isn't great, but it's better than, you know, uh, a, a serious knee ligament problem that's six months or potentially even career-ending, as we've seen. Hopefully, you can get the right recovery, get the right rest and bounce back because he's been in great form. It's unfortunate with the own goal. Um, really unlucky. Uh, scuffed shot sort of rolled under his foot and ended up going in past Steele. So can't do much about it. Yeah, they, they are phenomenal. Um, yeah, it seems like they've had a blip. Uh, well, we'll see. We shall see. It could be systematic, but uh, yeah, there's an international break coming, which... Which leads us to a conclusion for this week, I think. So, uh, yeah, we'll be back next week covering our look into Harry Kane, how he's going in Germany, and Jude Bellingham in Spain, and also doing uh, a preview into England, who have got uh, Australia, and who have uh, Italy in October in the continued saga of qualifying for the Euros so I think we're there for this week so as we said last week um, JP and John thanks again we're gonna we're getting there yeah thank you boys it's been a pleasure as always